Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. And again, the double clap signifies the start of an episode. I'm going to do this one quick. That was such an epic introduction. I know. That really Bummer. <laughs> For all the listeners out there, we just had a quick technical difficulty. But this is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast. And listen, if you by chance get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, you cry, you learn something, or you're entertained, dude, you share it with a friend. And if by chance you don't have friends, you should be listening to podcasts. Swag. Who else is in the building? It's Sarah Slugs. And on my right, the Tulsi Task Squad. How was that for expediting yeah, everything? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> and so, again, I have Insights. Daisy Chacon on my right. And on Daisy's right, we have Mr. Steve Engel. And they are campaign organizers. Is, is that the right title? For campaign, Tulsi. Campaign coordinators from Massachusetts. Campaign bosses. Yes. From yeah, Mass. Right. <laughs> um, and they represent Tulsi. Do you guys want to give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Uh, sure. Okay. My, I am from Quincy, Mass. Uh, I actually moved up here a couple of years ago from Connecticut. And uh, I had never really been involved with a campaign before. I have my own business. I'm in publishing. And I've been doing that for 30 some odd years. W- and What type of publishing? Um, nonfiction books. So I do the index at the back of books. When you look something up in the back of a textbook, there's actually people who do that called indexers. Like and bibliographies. I, not so much bibliographies, okay. but just a list of alphabetical list of terms in the book, so people can find what they're looking for in a textbook or a cookbook or whatever. You know, the recipes be listed at the back of the book. So we do that, and I just started doing that. Uh, I won't go into the whole story, but I, one thing led to another. I started hiring people, and I have a business now, actually in Connecticut, that I that is still there. And so you're a boss. I'm I'm the boss. Nice. Yes, I'm the boss. But uh, and as far as uh, uh, Tulsi goes. Um, I'd never really been involved in a political campaign before, kind of tangentially, but not really like this. And when I, I was really, I guess it all started with the, uh, with the uh, Iraq War, because after 9-11, you know, um, two years later, like, we're going to invade Iraq. And like, why are we invading Iraq? It didn't make any sense to me, uh, because Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. And uh, it turns out, of course, there weren't even weapons of mass destruction there. And you know, whatever it is, 16, 17 years later, we're still there. The country's in shambles. Um, so I'm basically, you know, I was wondering, why are we doing this? Why are we going to war? Um, and nothing's, nothing's happening. It seems such a waste. And then Tulsi came along around 2015 on my radar. And I said, this is, this is, she's talking about she's these the endless wars. One. And she, it just resonated with me. And I said, I got to get involved. When she announced her candidacy last year, about a year ago, for president, I said, I really want to get involved with this campaign. So that's, that's where it all started for me. Okay, and Daisy? All right, so I was born in Boston, raised in Miami, and I moved up here as an adult 10 years ago. Uh, and I've been living in Salem. That? Since. You moved back? I know. <gasps> I know. That's what everybody always asks me. Like, why would you move back here? But I, it's, it's really different. It's just up here you have the change of the seasons, and, you know, it, the, the pace is different. And, you know, just life in, in Miami, it is, you know, people go down there for vacation and for partying for a reason. You know, so um, you don't think it's a good sustainable place to live long term, or no? I, I mean, for some people, it is too it's much just for drugs me, and for sex and not, money yeah. and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that that kind of environment isn't really conducive. Like when I moved back up here, I went back to school, I got my bachelor's degree. Um, so you know, then I went and I lived in Spain for two years, and that was really what kind of opened me up to this political world because I was actually pretty apathetic myself uh, before you know 2016. 
And, you know, then I started, you know, getting more politically active once I came back because I was really inspired by how the people in Spain, they just are so knowledgeable about everything that's going on around the world, you know, not just, you know, in Spain, but, you know, in the U.S., in the rest of Europe, you know, just all around the world. And they're very politically active. Like they all it's not like here where you can't have a conversation with your family because it's it's too divisive or whatever it may be. You know, like you can't talk about religion and you can't talk about Mm -hmm. politics. Right. Um, And for them, it's it's just what you do. Um, it's part of the culture. Right, right, exactly. So that was really inspirational for me. So when I came back, I, I essentially I became an activist and I started, you know, going to a lot of protests. And, um, you know, as far as Tulsi goes, like I she came onto my radar in 2016. For most people, they say that it was after she stepped down. I honestly, I didn't really know that she stepped down. But it was, you know, shortly after that, that I started to see how you know, she just is somebody who has a lot of integrity. Like that's her driving force is her integrity. And she's a fighter. And I really like that. The fact that she went to Standing Rock, that was a really big thing for me because I went to Standing Rock. And, uh, you know, the fact that she took that as a call for veterans to to go and represent and, you know, stand up for the Constitution and for the people. That was, you know, excellent for me. And so since then, I was hoping that she would go and run, you know, and I would always tell everybody, I'd be like, this is the lady like she is the one. Um, And, you know, uh, so I think it was maybe a few months ago that I decided I was like, okay, well, I want to become involved in her campaign. And I have never been a part of a campaign before I, you know, had again, I was an activist, so I would go to certain rallies or whatever, but never, you know, like canvassing or sign waving or anything like serious like that for a campaign. And I reached out to the volunteer coordinator and she hooked me up with Steve and it's been gravy since then. So again, it it got cut off when we had the slight technical difficulty, but if we can get anything from this episode, I think just at least, again, I'm 24, kids our age, I think they care about politics and they want to know what's going on. They just don't necessarily understand how it affects their day to day. Like right now, and I could be totally ignorant, but I feel like my day to day hasn't necessarily changed during Trump's presidency. That's the way I feel like I don't know how it's had a direct impact on me. And so if we can get anything from the episode, I would love to do that. So starting off, can you guys kind of elaborate um, Tulsi's like central policy about being involved in foreign wars and why that kind of compels you guys to why she's your candidate because of that? Well, I mean, the fact is, first of all, it's it's morally wrong, but we're spending so much money on these wars. Uh, For instance, in Afghanistan, we're spending four billion dollars a month. Okay, and we have people serving over there who weren't even born on 9-11. So, and what do we have for results? You know, the Taliban is resurgent in Afghanistan. Same thing with Iraq. We don't really have uh, anything to show for it. And we spent, I think it's over $6 trillion since uh, the beginning of these In military expenditures. Military expenditures, right. So this is money that could have been invested in, at home, in our infrastructure. I mean, we are a rich country. Uh, but we compared to other countries, other advanced countries, we don't have uh, free or low cost ed- uh, secondary education. We don't uh, a college education. We don't have, uh, you know, young people are saddled with student loans, right? Uh, Health care is ridiculously expensive. So those are all issues that affect uh, all of us, but especially 
younger people. And Tulsi is a younger person. I mean, she's 38, so she is a, the new generation of leadership. And I think she is looking to where we need to go rather than trying to react to the day-to-day crises. She's minutia of the, the day-to-day. Minutia, but kind of like looking beyond that, and that's her military training. Did, did I see, say that wrong, Steve? Did I, is it minutiae? I mean, you're the indexer, man. You're the word expert. Let's compromise minutiae. Okay, minutiae. Uh, no, I, mean, I think it's minutiae, but whatever. But she, yeah, she I'm spoke, stupid. No, no, you're not. It, it, whatever, whatever way, you know, people say indexes, people say indices. You know, I don't really give a shit. Can, can, you, give us right? a, can you give us a hard word for the day? A hard word? Um, uh, serendipitous. That's not too hard. Give come me, on. yeah, come That's, on. Give one that would, it would be hard for Daisy, too. Would... Daisy's smart. <laughs> No, what do we obfuscate? What does that mean? Means to make unclear. Obfuscate. So, obfuscate. So, like you have, um, I think people, politicians often obfuscate the problems by uh, making them more complicated than they have to be. Okay. And they're so manipulating us. When they say, you know, there's no money for healthcare, there's no money. We have to cut Social Security. We have to cut all these social programs. Um, yeah, we have budget overruns, but when it comes to a war, there's always money for that. For that war and those wars cost not we're talking uh trillions of dollars a we're trillion dollars money a baby. trillion dollars is a thousand billion dollars i mean that's a lot of money i mean if you think what you would do with a hundred thousand dollars you know a million dollars i don't think we wouldn't be in the back of this cold warehouse i'll tell you that much <laughs> so a trillion dollars is ten thousand million dollars and that's just it's just you can't even fathom that amount of money now who's benefiting from that military contractors right people who work people who work for military sector. They lived, lived in Eastern Connecticut for many years. And of course, we built submarines there. So every time we got a contract, it was a reason for celebration because that meant more jobs for the next few years. But it's a very short-sighted perspective, I think. Same thing with healthcare. I mean, people who work in the insurance industry, they benefit from this status quo system, but the, most of us do not. So I would say the two major issues for young people that she addresses are healthcare and education. Okay, and she's t- the mil- cutting the military spending, unnecessary military spending. She's not against military spending. Cutting that spending could save us enough money to pay for those and more. Okay, so to simplify, what you're saying is if we – her policy is that if we pull out of all of the wars in the Middle East, we can reallocate all those funds to actual in-house problems in America. Is that right? Correct. Okay. I, I feel you. Right. I mean, she's saying unless there is an imminent threat that we should not be involved in those wars. Now, if someone is going to, if they're sending a, you know, a submarine over and they're going to bomb us here in Boston or whatever, that's, that's an imminent threat, right? But Syria is not an imminent threat to the United States. There's no threat that Syria is going to invade us or whatever. So there's no need to really be concerned about regime change there or in any of these other countries unless it's unless it's imminent threat that's the prime role of the president is commander in chief and the president uh does not declare war that's congress's area but the president can uh is the commander in chief and controls the armed forces and so they should only be used as a last resort and as a as someone who's in active military tulsi understands that that uh you will only she talks about her brothers and sisters in uniform they should only be put in in harm's way when there's an imminent threat to the country on the contrary what would the opposition say about why we still keep a presence in the middle east what is the reasoning for somebody who says we should have troops there Uh, do you want like the truth or the propaganda 
Well, give me, give me the unbiased <laughs> version, man. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the, what we're sold on is the, you know, we need to essentially fight them over there, you know, to, to be able to keep ourselves safe here. But in actuality, what we're doing is that we're putting ourselves more in danger because what has been proven is that, I mean, look at Afghanistan. We've been there over 18 years, you know, I, I mean come on, how, how are we making ourselves safer? We're not. And if anything, we are, you know, indoctrinating a lot more people to become terrorists and to hate America. And we are putting our troops more in danger. Um, like, for instance, what just happened, you know, with Iran, uh, the assassination of Soleimani. Um, that, was, you know, that was crazy, huh? Yeah. So now we're now our troops are having to focus on defending, you know, whatever bases or whatever areas they're in, instead of fighting ISIS, which is the reason why supposedly we're over there is mm -hmm. to fight these terrorists. But, you know, we're, we've lost the focus of our mission. And that is one of the things that she, because of her military background, that is something that she talks about all the time is the fact that we cannot go into these things and just willy nilly, like not know what we're doing or change our mission constantly, which that is what has been happening. You know, with the Afghanistan papers that just recently came out, it showed the fact that you know all these generals and stuff they had no idea about what was going on and that puts our troops in danger can you elaborate on the afghanistan papers i'm unfamiliar um why don't you respond okay. to that? <laughs> I'm, I'm not as familiar with that as you are. I oh, okay. okay. About it, I mean, so essentially the Afghanistan papers, it was put out by the Washington Post and it was a leak of all these documents showing that over the years, all these generals, they had no idea of how how we were actually doing and they were selling the public american generals right right right. they were selling the public on that we were beating the terrorists you know we, like trump has said how many times we've eradicated uh you know isis 100 percent, but yet we're still there and right. we're still having to fight in these i mean isis arose as a result of the iraq war because iraq was, i always hear about the vacuum yeah iraq vacuum. iraq i mean you, doesn't matter what you think about Saddam Hussein. Iraq was a functioning country. You had an educated population. You had universities. People, you know, doctors, As was lawyers. Libya. You had a functioning country there that was kind of held together with a with authoritarian figure, but it did kind of function. We went, we went. It was basically, and he was a uh, Sunni, right? So mm -hmm. he had, basically his power center was Sunni uh, Muslims as opposed to Shia Muslims. Mm -hmm. When Saddam was overthrown, it did create a vacuum, and what happened? Not only a vacuum for uh, Shias to take over the leadership, but also for Shia countries like Iran, there's a neighboring country to have much more influence in that. And that's just, you know, what else are they going to do, right? They have an opportunity, they're going to take advantage of it. And then as a response to that, you have ISIS and these, uh, these terrorist uh, Sunni groups rising up to fight the Shia groups, right? So you have them trying to, uh, you have ISIS and you have Al-Qaeda uh, empowered more. So there's a lot of unforeseen consequences of these invasions. Well, playing devil's advocate, is there any benefit to, to being the, the big brother in the situation down there, having the most force? Is there any benefit for people being intimidated by us over there? Um, I'm sure that's part of the rationale of why we're still there, right? Like, okay. hey, we're America. We're still here. Don't start anything crazy. Okay, first of all, um, you don't make friends by killing people. It's really? Like just, yeah, really. It's like it's really hard to understand. But if you kill people or members of their fa people's families, they tend not to like you. Okay, so that's that's number what one. What do you guys think about that? Whoa! <laughs> Mind blown. 
that's the number one thing. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Um, uh, yeah, but, no, I mean, and, you know, going back to, like, Afghanistan, the fact that who's in charge, who's, like, the big group now in Afghanistan is the Taliban. <laughs> you right. know, so, so and it's, it's it hasn't been effective. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And again, <laughs> it's a waste of all this money. It's you know, you're causing these massive refugee um, issues all over right. Europe. You know, they're really the ones who have to deal with these these refugee issues, you know. And I mean, besides the fact that, you know, these people, it's we're, we're literally terrorizing them, you know, like we're driving them out of their homes, you know, and it's imagine all just growing up surrounded by just like firefights and guns and bullets. Right. Like, I mean, that's going to scar you for the rest of your right. life. And man. then how would you feel about the people who are conducting these air wars on you? You mm-hmm. know, who's who? I mean, I mean, I sure wouldn't be uh, too happy with them. And you know? You know, it's all it's not about, you know, we care about democracy in Iraq. It's about natural resources. It's about oil. It's about natural gas. I mean, that's what it's about. Um, you know, basically, after before World War Two, you had the British Empire, right? They controlled basically the world. I mean, the sun never set on the British Empire. After World War II, the United States assumed that role of being the world's police. And Tulsi explicitly says we should not be the world's police. We should not be the one who goes in there and says, you know, you've been bad. That's, that's a role for the United Nations to go in there or the International Court or whatever. But one country, the United States, should not be in that role. Not only is it ineffective, it's incredibly expensive. For us, so it doesn't it really doesn't make sense for us to to have that role. So, question: Let's say we, the U.S. has already done a ton of damage, right, in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq. Would it be a detriment for us to leave, and then the people are like, "Okay, there's no military presence here now. Let's go get them back." Is that realistic? Well, I, I mean, technically, in Iraq, their parliament has already asked us to leave. They've asked everybody everybody to leave you know they don't want any foreign presence why because they don't want a war anymore they're just starting to rebuild their country and now we're going and starting some some shit with iran you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying and where are we going to fight that we're not going to fight that here we're going to fight that over there and that's why it's so easy for us to just turn a blind eye on it you know um it's it's also a very interesting central policy for a campaign because it's not the most glamorous one and so it's it's pretty noble that she like built her campaign off something like this. I mean, there's no other candidates are doing that, correct? No, no. And she's going up against the military industrial intelligence complex. I don't know. You probably know about the Eisenhower farewell speech and when he I left saw office that. in 1961. Are you a big conspiracy guy, Steve? Don't lie to me. A little bit. I mean, <laughs> my my feeling is that first of all, the term conspiracy theory is a CIA. Answer my question. <laughs> all right. Um, but I think, you know, you should look at all the evidence and, and just make decisions, you know. So I don't close the door on anything until I've looked at the evidence and, and evaluated the evidence. But, um, I mean, you can call Eisenhower a conspiracy ther- uh, theorist. He said, beware the, mil- the rise of the military-industrial complex in 1961. Okay, so here we are, 60 years later, the military-industrial complex is extremely powerful in this country. Can you simplify on what that is? The military-industrial complex is uh, really what it comprises is all the military contractors, right? So you have military contractors and Boeing, Boeing, General Dynamics, you know, all these Lockheed Ra- Martin right here in Boston, and they're spread all over the country. The big not, military companies, not by accident. I mean, they're put they're put in every congressional district so that they are they can get. Um, you you know if you want to cut them then you're threatening the bread and butter of these this congressional district so 
And I, and I add the intelligence uh, aspect too, because you have the CIA, and the CIA is actively involved in Syria, and, and Tulsi has called them to task on that. Um, so they're actually supporting al-Qaeda in Syria because they're against Assad, and Assad's a Russian ally. So that's the only reason is, is because Assad's a Russian ally and because we want to have control of the natural resources or use their country to put our pipelines through or whatever. It's not really anything to do with democracy or bringing freedom to, to people in the Middle East. Well, real quick, can you just rewind slightly about Eisenhower's speech and how that ties into what's going on now? Um, well, Eisenhower just was... So obviously this problem was ongoing already. So Eisenhower recognized it in 1961. He realized that, okay, all these big military companies have a a pretty strong influence on our political system. Right. They influence, uh, they'll they'll contribute to campaigns. They have influence on politicians. If you run for Congress, if you're elected, you know, on day one, you're starting on your reelection campaign because it's only two years down the road. So if you don't have a war chest of money, you're not going to be able to, to run again. So you need to get that support from from these contractors, or normally you do. I mean, Tulsi has refused to take any uh, contributions from PACs, uh, from corporations. So she is fairly unique. I think other candidates have done that as well. How does she make all her money for her campaign? Just individual, small contributions. We're all volunteers. I mean, she has a very, very small paid uh, staff, but basically it's all volunteers. And her So you guys really love this woman. That's right. <laughs> well, it's not, well, it's not so much her personally. It's... Um, it's it's the movement. I think she's pretty cool though. She's always like aloha. Right. Yeah. Well, it's that aloha is is that is a Hawaiian. Yeah. You know, I know. She's she's, she's slick. She actually Steve. was born in American Samoa, but grew up in Hawaii. And her mother is like from you know Michigan or someplace, and her father's from I don't know you know in, uh, uh, Hawaii, I guess originally. But aloha means hey. uh, it means hello and goodbye. Mm-hmm. But it really also means uh, I'm open to you. I respect you. I'm listening to you. So that's that's. And it also difference. means love. Hey, Daisy. Aloha. 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 Right. <laughs> so we, we joke about it a lot because, I mean, it is, you know, everyone says aloha all the time in the campaign. But it's it's not a uh, – it's just a message of being uh, open and uh, receptive and – but not, you know, not taking any crap either. So it's like you can be tough and you can have aloha. Right. Well, the way that she puts it is, um, you know, aloha is very central to her because – it, like I said, it does mean love. And when you, you take care of things that you love, right? And the people that you love. And so that's why she always tells everybody, I'm coming to you with aloha because I care for you. I love you. I want to take care of you. I want to, you know, I want to bring us forward as a country, you know? Like that's, right. But that's you could also have aloha towards your, your so-called enemies. So for instance, she gets a lot of flack because she, when she went to Syria on a fact-finding mission uh, a few years ago, she met with uh, Bashar al-Assad, right? And people are saying, oh, you're cozying up to dictators. You know, you're, you're enabling them by meeting with them. And she's saying, no, I'm just, uh, I'm first of all, on a fact-finding mission. She was there. She met with the Syrian opposition. And then she had an invitation to meet with Assad as well. And she said, I'm going to meet with him she, just to find out just Wh- from his, his perspective, deal? right? Doesn't mean I agree with him. In fact, she's called him a brutal dictator many times. But she This wants- is what she gets a lot of flack for, right? Yeah. This is where the whole Russian asset thing comes right. into play right but if you don't talk to your enemies if you, if you can't negotiate with your enemies why what's the point right the whole point is communicating with people you disagree with and she's for for finding that small ground of agreement even if it's like two percent you can agree with someone on something you can build on that so she is against the whole partisan left versus right uh, republican versus democrat she sees that as somewhat of a false dichotomy that's been 
manufactured uh, because it's it has a political mm-hmm. uh, function, but it really is that people are much closer than you'd think based on political party affiliation. That really the division is is more about you know the wealthy, the powerful, and the, and the wealthy elite making these decisions that are that are costing all the rest of us a lot of money. So that's why you find, like in her campaign, you find all these different kinds of people coming together, Republicans, Libertarians, uh, leftists, you know, Trotskyists. You find like all kinds of people, a really interesting mix of people. And that's something that really struck me when I got involved with this campaign. Okay. So outside of her um, desire to pull out of the Middle East, and then allocate all that extra bread and give it to American problems. Can you guys elaborate on what she would do for student debt? Because that's all a lot of my friends are dealing with right now. I graduated college about a year and a half ago, and I was really blessed. I didn't even understand student debt, but because my parents had paid for my the entirety of my college, I couldn't have started this if I had like four, I had to pay forty k off. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. But like for instance, Slugs is going to have student debt when she leaves Northeastern. What's Tulsi going to do for Slugs? So her thing is that she is somebody who she's not a reactionary, right? Um, She's like I said, she's very mission oriented and she wants to get to the root of the problem. So, you know, you have other candidates who are saying like, okay, let's just cancel all student debt. But what's that going to do? It's the the problem is still going to continue with whoever else, you know, in the future, they're going to have the same problems. So for her, she really wants to get to the root of the problem. Uh, You know, she understands that a lot of these universities, what they're charging is, you know, these ridiculous fees. Yeah. Like I, I went to Salem State and I, you know, I ended up. 60 grand in debt what you know like at yeah. a state school it's, at a state it's school it's insane how yeah. much money college costs right now yeah so, i know brennan what was the tuition we had started at pc do you remember it's around like 60 dollars a year it, oh it was when we had started the two i believe the tuition was like 48 and we right. had ended and it was twelve thousand dollars more a year right 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 it's well, it's just like right. they just figured they're going to increase it five percent a year. My daughter went to Fordham, and they said basically, yes, you know, it's going to increase five percent a year, just because not that not that inflation is at that rate, or whatever. It's just it's just going to increase at that rate every year. It's absurd. Right. So you know, she wants to look at you know the bureaucracy of it because that's where a lot of these fees they come from, and you know these administrators, and it, it's just you know they're getting paid these exorbitant uh, this exorbitant amount of money, and at the end of the day, is the the outcome any better for you know the students are we really that much more educated you know we have a lot of people who you know they are coming out of school with this massive debt they were sold on this whole story that you're going to go to school you're going to get this education you're going to get this uh, you know wonderful job when you get out i'm an example of that you know like i i studied chemistry i'm not a chemist (laughs) you know because uh you know if i were to get a job as a chemist i wouldn't be making as much money as i make now and Mm -hmm. i'm a pharmacy technician like (laughs) and i didn't have to go to school and put myself sixty thousand dollars in debt for that you know you definitely did not have to go to college to start a podcast i'll tell you guys (laughs) (laughs) right right so you know and you know so she wants to focus more on like apprenticeships and she what she wants to do is bring across about legislation that will help um um, you know, people with student debt actually be able to file for bankruptcy because it's the only type of debt that you cannot file for bankruptcy. Um, so you, you know, like, I don't know if you had a co-signer slugs uh, with, with any of your debt, but, or with your loans, but, you know, like, God forbid something happens to you, then whoever co-signed for you, they got to pay for it, you know? Like, it's just never ending, you know? So i just want to make sure i understand this so what she's going to do is is she going to forgive all is it all public school loan debt 
or what is she like actually going to do? How is she going to put more money in Slugs's pocket? Is that a thing? I mean, she definitely wants to look at how to forgive certain types of debt. Um, so if you work, you know, in in the service sector, you know, um, then obviously there there are programs that are intact now for that, but the the actual percentage of people that actually get the loans forgiven is like one percent. Um, so she definitely wants to expand that. And again, she wants to, um, you know, help people file for bankruptcy for it. Um, she wants to have, you know, free public four year college uh, tuition. So pretty much everyone who has debt now, though, is shafted. It's like the new generation will be a little bit. I better think she I mean, I don't want to speak. For, we're not speaking for the right, campaign. Right, right. right. But I think um, she her approach is like if there's a problem. She's going to address it and she's going to deal with it. Right. Um, I don't know what her specific program is for cutting student debt, but that's a serious problem that we have. They have this whole generation. They can't afford to buy, they can't buy, buy a house or whatever because they just don't have, they can't, they're living paycheck to paycheck because of this student loan debt. So that is something that she's going to address. And, and one of the things is the uh, ability to declare bankruptcy, but there has to be some uh, reconciling with this problem of, of, of cutting to student debt. So I have no doubt that that would happen under uh, a, a Gabbard administration and she would address that issue. It's one thing I just don't understand. And again, I'm not the most political person. I'm learning more. But why, as Americans, do we penalize people who want to be productive members in our society? It's like she's going to go to school, she's going to put in all this work, then she leaves and she's already at a disadvantage to someone who maybe just learned everything on YouTube. I mean, really, it's because everything is for profit. Everything is driven by big business, you know? Like, I mean, college is big business, you know? It's like, a big it's, business. It's a, yeah, dog. it's a lot of money, you know? And again, we're sold on this whole story that in order to get a good job, you know, you're going to have to go to school, you know? And and that's just not the case. You can get, um, you know, you can do an apprenticeship. You can, you know, do something that's, you know, more, I don't know, hands-on. And you can get a better paying job than if you were to go to school, you know, for four years or however long and put yourself massively in debt. One thing I'll tell you, now that I'm like two years in the real world slugs is ultimately, unless you want to work in like a big corporate office, it's all about if you can get the job done in the best possible way. Right. We can all concur, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, entrepreneurship now is, is kind of the key thing. You can't, you know, my parents' generation, it was like you got a job and you had that job your whole life pretty much. It's like you were in one company. Steve. Times right. are changing. And now yeah. it's like, you know, people change jobs every few years or whatever. And people, you have, even if you have a job where you're an employee, you have to be entrepreneurial. So that's, that's the key. And a, and a college degree is no longer a guarantee of getting that, that steady, mm -hmm. you know, good job it once was. Unless we're all, you want to work at a bank, though. Why would I want to work? No, so unless you want to work at a bank or like something a little more formal. And honestly, if you are you talking about like like a teller status or are you talking about like Wall Street? I'm talking like all mean a lot of me and Brennan's friends got jobs at like PwC and Fidelity. Yeah. You need a college degree to go work at an right. institution. Well, that's like the that. finance sector. I mean, the finance sector is where all these people made their money. Look at Tom Steyer. Look at Bloomberg. I mean, they made the money on hedge funds. Right. And what that is is basically legalized tax subsidized gambling on the stock market because if you lose we, we taxpayers will bail them out if you win you get to keep the money so basically that's the finance sector is is the, is where all the wealth is right the what does the finance sector actually produce we don't have any manufacturing we don't have um, I mean we have 
intellectual property. We have Hollywood and we have this, you know, that, but as far as manufacturing, it's, it's pretty much dead. Um, that, that finance does not really, the finance sector does not really uh, produce that much. And that's, that's a problem. Slugs, do you have any questions? I know you got some haymakers coming. And B, you too. such a surplus of jobs in, in that sector and it's it's good pay you know it's, and it's good work so how you know how can we encourage that movement well that's one of the things that she wants to implement programs where people are instead she really wants to change the culture around that everybody has to go to a four-year university in order to be a productive member of society you know because it, it takes all types of people to to function in this society right and not everybody wants to go to school um and so for her she really does um push for apprenticeship she really does believe in that she wants to um have these programs for trade schools um I, I'm not 100% sure if she wants them to be free or not, but I do know that she that, that is like a main focus for her when it comes to that because she understands that, again, not everybody wants to go to school and not everybody wants to put themselves, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in debt, you know, and not have a guarantee after that that they're going to have a job that ensures that, first of all, that they can even pay back those student loans. When you say trade schools, do you mean like trade, like colleges? Like like an ITT high, tech, high as well. yeah. Um, and I was also going to ask, does she have a policy on school choice? Because you know that's kind of a partisan issue whether kids are able to uh, go to other private schools, charter schools, instead of being confined to their own public district. Right. Well, I mean, charter schools are generally public schools within a district. But um, Steve, before you continue, just so we have it on the audio, Brendan asked. Does Tulsi have a policy on whether people can, ch when whether kids can choose to go to public, private, or charter schools? Correct. Yeah, school vouchers, school sometimes. School vouchers. Okay. Um, I, I can't answer for Tulsi on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, again, you know, I, I'm not answering for her either. But I do know that she she is very much um, a, a libertarian in that sense that she believes in your choice. We live in America where you have freedoms, right? And you should be able to choose, um, you know, to go to whatever school you want to go to. You know, with the whole health insurance thing, you should you should be able to choose if you want to have uh, your own private insurance. You should be able to do that. Like, uh, and so in that sense, you know, she has been asked before about that. Um, um, I, I can't state a specific um, policy or anything, but I do know that she is big on um, having choices. She doesn't want to divert, you know, funds from public school. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but she doesn't. She's not against charter schools. Brennan with the political curveball. Slugs, <laughs> what do you got? I have a question, but it's steering away, changing direction. It's okay. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, how? I mean. After Iowa, she didn't do so well there. How do you guys plan, or what's the strategy for improving in the next state, in New Hampshire? Yeah, I mean, I think more blatantly, like, does she have a shot at winning at all? Well, I mean, a lot, a lot is going to depend on next Tuesday in New Hampshire, right? I mean, she didn't put a lot of resources into Iowa just because Iowa is a, is a caucus system, and it's much more difficult uh, Yang put quite a bit of money into it and still didn't get great results there. She spent a lot of time in Iowa, but 
basically our focus has been on pretty much in New Hampshire, and, and the campaign has been going up there almost every weekend for the last few months. You guys been going, going up there. there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So she's been <laughs> it's doing, a different world up there. <laughs> she's been doing It's town, really great up there, though. It's, it, it, she's been doing town halls almost every night, and, um, you know, we've been doing uh, sign wavings and just uh, really – yeah, she's she signs. has uh, she's been in New Hampshire now for over a hundred days. That's for sure. Um, and again, she has a town hall almost every night. You know, she goes to like the boonies <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. Um, yeah, she because she has a grassroots campaign. She you know her funds are not. She doesn't have like Bernie money. She doesn't have that Tom you know? Steyer like <laughs> yeah yeah. She doesn't have Bloomberg money. money. You know <laughs> where you could just inject hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars into your uh, campaign. And for Iowa because it's a caucus state you do have to have a really good ground game and you do have to have a lot of money. And so she just figured. There, there's no way that she would be able to, you know, focus on Iowa and on New Hampshire and New Hampshire. They they're Well, first of all, they're an open primary, um, so everybody can vote. And she does really well with independents um, and also Republicans. But, uh, you know, that that definitely gives her an advantage. Um, and really with their question of does she have a shot? So. I mean, at this point, we've kind of seen after the debacle in Iowa that who really knows who has a shot? Because, I mean, Bernie has been seen as the favorite, right? But look what just happened. That's you pretty know? wild, huh? Right. That's crazy. Right. You know, so who really knows what's going to happen, you know, going forward? But for her, she's already said that she's going to go to the convention. Regardless of anything that happens in the primary states, she's going to go to the convention because her thing is that she really wants to bring forth this message because, like you were saying, nobody else is talking about foreign policy, you know? And... What, you know, foreign policy is domestic policy. Like what happens abroad does affect us here. Um, you know, even if you want to just take it from the financial standpoint, you know, it's just and Americans are just like, well, that's a problem over there. I have problems here. I think that's what a lot of Americans are thinking for the most part. Right. And, and she's trying to make that connection between, you know, the money, your taxpayer money is going to pay for these wars that could be brought back home. Right. And that's why she, I mean, you alluded to the fact, Daisy, that she has a, a broad base of support. This is why she is actually uh, somebody that Trump is scared of because she she's in a, in a sense she's a populist because she's really appealing to the people and she she can bring people together to defeat uh, Trump uh, and that the conservative Democrat you know DNC strategy is a repeat of 2016. You know, get a corporate Democrat up there and somehow people are going to. Uh, choose them because they're slightly better than Trump or whatever. It didn't work in 2016. It's not going to work in, in 2020. So that's, I think for that reason, she has a shot. Well, I mean, you guys wouldn't be working on a campaign if she didn't, right? I, honestly, I, I, for me, I guess that's the activist side of me. Like I, have you always been like this? Like very like socially conscious in Spain? Um, no, it. I mean, kind of, but it definitely expanded after mm -hmm. Spain. Because, um, like, I mean, they haven't been um, uh, from, you know, from fascist rule uh, for that long. So I think it was, it, they've only been, it's, it's only been like 60 years since Franco. So for them, it is still very fresh, you know, and, um, and even like the, the flag over there, like a lot of them don't like the, the Spanish flag because for them, it's, it's a, a symbol of fascism you where know? where's your family from uh so my mom was cuban and my dad is salvadorian whoa mm -hmm. hablas espanol 
Sí. Yo hablo, <risa> yo hablo un poquito. Um, yo tengo un programa de entrevista en la ciudad de Boston y mi programa es más grande en la ciudad. Wow, lo hablas muy, muy bien. Y, uh, <risa> yo, yo fui a la tienda de pelo corto en el pueblo de Waltham y mi barbero es dominicano. Ah, so, sí. Todos los tiempos fui a la tienda. Fui a la tienda y yo aprendí una nueva palabra. Qué bueno, me alegro. Entonces, yo, yo te gusta. Uh, yo me gusto los policías. Me gusta, me me gusta. los polici policías de su uh, equipo. ¿Sí? I, ju I just said, I like the policies of your team. Oh. That was actually really good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Um, Sorry to throw everyone off. We're not off. Russian bots, okay? okay. <laughs> we're not, you know, we are we are 100% pure-blooded Americans, and it's and, and I think you know, Daisy said, okay, we're are we working? You know, why are we working on this if if she might not win or whatever? It doesn't. It it's doesn't, in your mind though. You're like, okay, like she's like number six or seven on the list. I mean, I don't. You know, you don't. Things can change a lot in politics. You just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, people drop out. Stuff stuff can change. So you kind of position yourself, right? It's more about the movement. She talk, uh, Tulsi talks a lot about the movement, building a movement, and I think that's what it's really. I think it's been about. effective for sure. Mm -hmm. I think people have actually really taken it to the campaign. Well, she's changing the discourse. I mean, now people are they're going to be forced to talk about foreign policy because they never in the in the presidential debates in past years they never really talked about it that much, and this she's bringing that to the table. Like no one even knew what regime change wars were you know mm -hmm. and that's something that's actually talked about frequently now you know the fact that she's highlighted um you know the military industrial complex uh it, it is becoming a part of discourse that definitely it wasn't talked about before and that has been because of her but i mean do um does running a, a semi-successful or successful presidential presidential campaign in 2020 let's say she wants to run again in 2024 will that give her leverage or will it definitely i mean look at look at i'm um, you know bernie in 2016 you know like he was when he started out i think he was like like four percent or something and then you know he ended up almost winning i mean obviously the field was <laughs> it was a lot less dense than it is uh now you know um and i think that she has done amazing for somebody who again she is completely you she's know grassroots too, politically yeah she's young and she doesn't have that notoriety the way that other people do like even bloomberg the fact that he you know is supposedly doing so well right now it's just because right. you know he, uh, new york new he's york also city, got that know? bag on him He's got that money. Right, dog. right, right. Well, he's and he's his, able he's to buy his all these network. ads. And he's got Bloomberg News, right? right? I mean, Tulsi is basically ignored by the news, and she's doing well despite that. So right, exactly. we were up in New Hampshire on uh, Wednesday protesting the CNN so-called town hall in Manchester where candidates such as Deval Patrick, who are ranking Less like than point, 1%, point yeah. 0.3% or something in national is, polls. Is that the meaning for the shirt? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so we, we had a lot of... Uh, what, well, they had a sh I got the shirt on Wednesday when we were up there, but basically she was excluded from this debate, uh, and there were other candidates who were polling higher, who had more, you know, uh, financial support, more donations. Why was she excluded? CNN never wouldn't give an answer. They never responded. They didn't respond to the campaign. They wouldn't respond. So it's it's like we were up there to show our you know, pr protest against that because she should have been on that stage. But on, on that note, sorry to interrupt you. Can you kind of speak to like all the stuff that's been going on with her, like Google AdWords account? She was, I believe, censored by CNN at one point and the Hillary Clinton stuff because it's all kind of conglomerated. Or are these like all separate issues? Um, well, it's all, I mean, how much of a conspiracy theorist are you? <laughs> well, Steve, <laughs> I can tell you're a big one, man. <laughs> no, Where's the tinfoil hat? <laughs> there's, uh, so let's deal with the Google thing first. Okay, it was, I think it was one of the early debates 
that uh, all of a sudden her account was was down. Her ad account. Her ad account. So was she down. couldn't. Google didn't allow her to push advertisements for her campaign after the debate. Right. So she she is suing Google for fifty million dollars <sighs> for damages for that. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be successful, whatever. But the idea is it's a principle of thing. Punitive. She, you know, maybe it was an accident, right? But it it was a very crucial time for her to have that the ads be active, right? Right, because after this was that every Kamala debate, Harris debate, right? That one. Right. Well, right. It's after, after, after every debate that she has been a part of, she has been the number one Googled, uh, like, trending person. Um, and, I mean, the talk time that they would give her on average was, like, five minutes, you know, compared to everybody else. Um, and it's and that's one of the main reasons why, like, CNN and all these other places, at least in my opinion, um, they have been trying to silence her is because if if they don't give her a platform if you know the american public isn't able to see her well then they can't hear her message and they can't it doesn't resonate with them right why would they not want her to win she she is dangerous to them i mean if you watch cnn which i don't do a lot but if from my, my you know my mom's house or whatever watch watch cnn's on the tv they have an ad for boeing right for like a military airplane like now i'm not going to go down to the store and buy a military but why is that advertising on cnn it's, it's too Steven, not that serious you think it's you think those are related oh definitely well, I'm saying they, so? they pay the bills for cnn right like they're paying that account that ad account is worth a lot cnn does not want to lose that account so like i'm just saying there's there's the appearance of compromisability right when the, when you have an advertiser there you you potentially if you're going to have an anti-war candidate or espousing these anti-war So you think positions. you think companies like Boeing are saying CNN Tulsi is not for our best interest. You guys I can't have you guys I mean I can't it. I can't speculate as to what actually is going on. But that's but what you're insinuating, right? I, I would say that there is a there is a uh, the discourse is limited on these stations okay. because of their of their in, uh, uh, supporters, right? So they they can only go so far as to talk about certain things. And one of those things is questioning the whole military intervention. Um, usually the, the question is, you know, these experts on CNN, should we invade this country or this country, or should we do it now, or should we wait two weeks? It's not about, should we just pull out of all these countries totally and put the money into domestic, uh, you know, for the good of our citizens domestically. I think, so that's just, that's that's I the reality it. of what's there, whether it's because of, of this or whatever. I think she, there's a reason they don't talk about this stuff, and they don't like her because she, she her policy basically would, you know, threatens that military industrial complex that I was warned about. Yeah. I know, get 50 it. 50 years, 60 years ago. Um, and can you kind of speak to the Hillary Clinton stuff? Like, she's also suing Hillary Clinton for 50 mil, right? Right. So the she might the, make a hundred mil. I know. Whoa. That'd be nice. <laughs> well, the whole she got to take you guys out to dinner. Yeah, uh, she better. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing with Hillary Clinton is the fact that uh, again she does have this this level of integrity that that really drives her, and you know she has been um, in the Army National Guard for seventeen years. She has high security clearance because of all the different committees that she's been on, and you know and as a major in the National Guard. Um, you know, for, for someone to say that she is essentially a Russian asset, she, that's treason, you know, which is punishable by death. Um, that, that's a big deal. You know, that's not something that can just be thrown around willy nilly. And the fact that Hillary Clinton, her, her voice does resonate, you know, people see that, you know, Hillary says that and automatically they're going to think, well, you know, 
she she was a first lady she was a secretary of state you know president right exactly so she has a lot of influence and for her to just throw that out there and you know it does have it it, it's tied to this whole russiagate narrative and you know just the fact that i mean for hillary obviously she's she's still a little sour about the fact that you know tulsi stepped down and that she you know um was supporting bernie from the dnc yeah Uh, as a co-chair from the DNC. Um, And she has called out Hillary Clinton. uh, You know, she's called her a warmonger. She's, you know, she's really, her foreign policy has been atrocious, you know, Mm -hmm. so... So Tulsi has been very vocal in um, in calling her out. And what's the basis of suing her for fifty mil? Like, what's the charge? Uh, defamation. Defamation. Basically. But I mean, in in when Hillary said it, wasn't she just like, yeah, she's like a Russian asset. Like she was messing around. She wasn't like actually serious, was she? Well, she sounded pretty serious when she said it. Well, not just that, but I mean, like you know, when we're doing sign wavings and stuff. You'd be surprised how many people come by, the and they'll actually ask us, like, oh, you are you guys Russians? Like really? Well, people are dumb. But <laughs> that's the, but that's the point is the fact that she has defamed her, and you know even it is on, interesting um, how how profound of an effect that would have right, on right. a national but scale. But that's part of the narrative of the of the current you know conservative democratic you know like Adam Schiff said if we don't fight Russia over there we're gonna have to fight them over here. Why is Russia our enemy? Well, I don't know. You know. I mean, are Do they threatening know? us directly? I don't know. I mean, I, it seems to me like there's other other threats that we face and not to say that we shouldn't be ready vigilant or whatever but but you know i mean i just don't see see, uh, uh, this whole russian gate thing i mean was shown to be a hoax right Mm -hmm. so i I just don't i don't i don't go for it i think she uh whatever she maligned the character of of tulsi and that's why she's tulsi is suing her slugs you have any questions i do let's Um, let's hear it so i feel like one of the biggest issues that we have in the united states socially or like to me one issue that i see is the opioid crisis so what is she going to do if she's elected about the opioid crisis what's her strategy that that's great and let me just build on it real quick it's a real problem in massachusetts as you guys know it's ridiculous like i had somerville mayor joe curtitoni up here and he's interested in in um starting up safe injection sites in Somerville. Mm-hmm. It like is not, it hasn't even, it hasn't slowed down in Massachusetts. It's only getting worse. Have you guys ever been to like Melania Cass and Mass Ave? No. no. They call it Meth Mile. It's like so sad. It's like, because all the, um, it's the, the me- well the, the clinics are right there. Exactly. But it's been like that for years, Slugs. It's like, it's insane. So. Well, I think she, she is for decriminalization of drugs, first of all. We're not talking about opioids specifically. Talking about but weed. But treating it as a health. Well, she wants to legalize marijuana. She wants to legalize marijuana. She wants marijuana. to decriminalize all drugs. Right. She and wants and to federally have the legalize it. And the war on drugs. Federally le- legalize yeah. it. Mm-hmm. No, federally. Oh, federally weed. legalize right. it. Right. Yeah. Everyone and can each smoke state weed would be, when she's right. Each state could regulate the way that they want to. Again, freedom. But the other thing is, <laughs> smoke course, weed. You know, the, <laughs> the elephant in the room here is like, who sold these opioids? Who made money off these opioids? It's the, the pharma. pharma. Big pharma, right? So. When she develops her, when she's formulating her health policy of, of uh, single payer plus, which is basically similar to what Australia has, she said she's not going to have big pharma and the health insurance companies at the table because that was the problem with Obamacare. You had everyone there and they had to appease these special interests who really don't have a role to play uh, in, this, in this dialogue. Um, and then she is, I'm sure, I mean, I don't want to speak for the campaign again, but uh, if there was criminal... Um, 
behavior, then I'm sure she would be in favor of prosecution for, for people who have, and there, and there already has been recently, we see in the news that there has been some, some, uh, some people from the far big pharma have been prosecuted. Well, she, had, she has legislation now um, that is holding Purdue Pharma accountable um, for, for the, their you know, role in the opioid crisis. Um, but yeah, you know, her spending so much time in New Hampshire, she has, you know, obviously New Hampshire also has really, really been affected uh, by the opioid crisis. And um, it is something that she's really serious about because she sees it as, again, she wants to find a solution, not just be reactionary about it. And we need to, you know, not, um, you know, criminalize people. And we need to realize that what, you know, we need help for these people. You know, we, it's a healthcare crisis, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of, we just need to lock everybody up and then, you know, and you ruin their lives. You know, once, once you become part of the criminal justice system, then that's it. You, you know, you come back from that. Right. I, uh, way back like last year, I had a, an orthopedic surgeon on the show. His name's Scott Sigman and he's opioid sparing. So he doesn't offer any pills to any of his patients. He said that one out of every seven people who take an opioid for the first time, like you take it once, you'll be addicted the rest of your life. How insane is that? You just take it once, your life's changed. Right. Well, that's criminal. I mean, it's criminal. It's insane. Right. Like right. imagine just like messing around like, yeah, I'm just going to like pop an oxy and like you chill for the rest of the day. See right. ya. Yeah. And then you also have these companies that they're getting it on both ends. Right. So, you know, you have these companies that they're making these opioids. People get addicted, but then they also have this medication that can help get you not addicted to these medications. You know what I'm saying? So it's a finesse. They, yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> really, come on. You know, <laughs> we see behind the curtain. And these industries are super powerful in Congress. I mean, they're lobbyists. Right. So they can influence uh, policy. They can influence legislation. I mean, that's a scary Thing. And, and Tulsi is for getting money out of politics, you know, publicly funded elections, because you can't have, um, you know, special interests determining what our legislation is. And also, you know, why haven't you seen more uh, prosecutions are going after these people, you know? It's because because of, of special interest. Well, and it's also because a lot of these people that are, you know, legislating, what, what ends up happening is that once they finish their terms, they go and they work for big industry, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, they were supposed to be regulating these industries, but then because they want to go and work for them later and make buku cash out of it, of course, you know, they're going to be lax on, on the laws. So let's say the, the Tulsi campaign, it, she doesn't win. Where do you guys go next? What do you do? Do you hop on another campaign? Do you support another candidate? 2024. You just wait till the next year. You don't vote for anybody. Uh, oh, I mean, I don't. I don't know who I would vote for. But, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'd have to see who the candidate is. I, yeah, I feel like I don't have to make a decision until yeah. we get to that. You know, until the day before election day, really. So it, we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's like I said, it's part of a movement. It's not just one candidate. So we have people in our campaign who are vote, involved in like uh, voter registration, uh, rank choice voting. Uh, so there's a lot of people just trying to bring more democracy because if you can get more people to turn out and more people register to vote that's what's going to change things you know only whatever 20 or 30 percent elect of the people elected donald trump because most people a lot of people didn't vote so if we have more people voting uh most people support most people support medicare for all you know or, or single-payer health care they support these are these issues though that you bring up that kids my age don't care about that honestly like well what about climate I mean, change Brendan do you care about climate change Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about climate change after this? <laughs> yeah. But like Brendan is, he's always been 
politically conscious. He's always understood it. So it's good that he's here. But our other friends, like, in their day-to-day, they're not thinking about Medicare policy or the opioid crisis. They're thinking about college debt a little bit. Affordable housing, obviously, they're thinking of because it's impossible to move to Boston or New York or L.A. because rent's like two Gs minimum a month. Right. Um, but I think climate change would definitely be applicable. What are some of her... I mean, she's the Hawaiian candidate, so she's like the eco-candidate. <laughs> um, well, she, she always says she'd rather... If she wasn't running in politics, she'd be surfing right now. That's what she was to do. So. Well, we had... Um, we had research analysts from the mobs labs at northeastern up yesterday and they were saying if the world was going to end in one way and they're studying the coronavirus right i don't right. want to freak you out steve because you're okay. a big conspiracy guy so don't lose <laughs> well, it don't, don't. I, it's I got, all relative <laughs> you know? I, I get it but um they were saying i was like so how would the world end they said over a pandemic and they studied pandemics they said it would be climate change can you guys kind of speak to tulsi's climate change okay. policy well, she supports the Off Fossil Fuels Act, OFF, off, which basically goes beyond the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is fine as far as it goes, but it does not go far enough. The Off Fossil Fuels Act calls for cutting subsidies to fossil fuel companies. How can, you be, how can we be subsidizing fossil fuel companies that are producing carbon that's causing global warming if we really want to be serious about addressing this problem, right? Okay. Subsidies is a big word. Let's uh, <laughs> subsidies is like ta- you know tax breaks for these for these fossil fuel companies. You know, and the other thing is is fracking. She wants to ban fracking. Really? How yeah. do we get oil? Well, we have to get off of oil because oil the the fossil fuel economy is is contributing to to climate change to to global warming. Is that realistic though? Like, is that going to damage our country if we have no more well, oil? Well, she's talking about 2000, 2050. Okay, and right. she wants to institute right. policies now. But I mean, other countries like Germany have been way, are way ahead of us. China's way ahead of us in terms of, of converting to renewable renewable energies. I mean, especially Germany. There's some towns that are just 100 percent, you know, based on geothermal, wind power, uh, hydropower. They they no longer have nuclear in, in Germany. So I mean, there are other countries who are successful, you know, developed industrialized countries that are successfully moving towards a post fossil fuel economy so that's the direction she wants to move in and also think about the jobs that are created from transitioning away from fossil fuels and you know and good paying jobs too you know like Like windmills and right exactly what are are some other like eco-friendly energy sources solar power wind well no she is not pro-nuclear uh geothermal um i mean they're all and a lot of it's just is conservation too so if we can work you know more without having to uh you know, if we can work decentralized or whatever, or work, or work less, you know, if we're, if we're uh, in a post-job economy or whatever, there's ways to, to cut down the, the emissions. Um, but it's and a serious problem. I mean, it's like a, it's a, it's an existential threat. And I think she realizes that. And as, as a member of the younger generation, she, she understands that more than maybe some of these septuagenarian politicians who aren't going to be around in 20 years. You know, she's going to be around. So she understands that this is a serious, serious problem that needs to be addressed. Uh, you know, immediately. That's it's it's an existential threat. Okay, so just back to the first thing you said. You said so she's going to tax fossil fuel companies heavier. No, she's going to cut the. We're not we're not so much taxing them. We're giving them money to produce fossil fuels. Now we're subsidizing. And so and we're going to say we're not giving you that money. We're not giving you that money, because that's that is uh, is 
why, why are we doing it? I mean, that's because of the influence of their lobbyists, whatever. I mean, why was this legislation created? It's not just somebody woke up in Congress one day and said, let's give money to the fossil fuel companies, and it's a good idea. No, it's because they lobbied for that, and they had that. We need to, we need to stop doing that. It, it doesn't make any sense. That money needs to be put into renewables. Anything on that, Daisy? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that um, she wants to, you know, give those subsidies to, you know, green solutions. Um, and you got to think about it as like, why is it that, you know, electric vehicles or, you know, uh, you know, getting solar panels on housing, uh, like all the, the it's considered still expensive. Right. Um, but if we actually subsidize these these industries, well, then it would it's a lot easier for it to be mass produced and then once it reaches a certain level then obviously it becomes cheaper to the consumer which is what we need you know mm -hmm. hey any last questions from you two one you guys having fun yes yeah. this okay, is cool. awesome Thank i had a great you. time this Thanks. was awesome yeah. do, do you guys have any questions I'm good. b hit us with a political haymaker really grab the mic yes. get on that thing Uh, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, you look at the Russiagate thing, that was a conspiracy theory. The thing about the, um, you know, the, the poison gas attack in Syria, that's also been shown to be a, that was a uh, concocted attack, you know, so it was to serve a political purpose. And this is actually a conspiracy is when you have two or more people uh, uh, conspiring together to do something. So I would definitely think that, um, uh, and I, I and it, well, mainstream media is also conspiracy because they see like they see these things as they made them up, so they're conspiracies, you know. And the and the Russia Gate's a conspiracy. So I think, um, I think you're on the on the money there with that. You guys should get a drink after this. <laughs> what, what's the most like out there theory that you believe in? Like totally out there. He's a flat earther. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you know, I just first of all, I don't like the word theory because you know it's like. Uh, evolution's a theory, you know, mm -hmm. and, and some, you know, but you speculate about all different things. But I'm are, are you do you, are you big on simulation theory? Uh, what is simulation theory? That like we're living in a simulation. Um, it could could be true. That would suck, but that could be true. I mean, I just deal with it every day, one day at a time. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> that's I, too much. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know, there's I I, I love reading about uh, you know cosmology and and different dimensions and all that stuff. But I mean, I'm living here and now, so I'm focused on the reality of getting Tulsi elected in the 2020. I I think you guys could run a killer podcast on your own. I think it'd be great. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. Well, maybe we Let's can get some it. get some ideas from you. I think can we yeah. rent out this space? This is a pretty cool space. It's, it's a little cold in here. You sure you want to do that? <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm like shivering over here. Oh, I thought you guys were cold the whole time. That's no, why I, I wanted to end it. You guys okay? Slugs, don't lie to me. My toes are a little yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the New Hampshire votes are on Tuesday? Correct. And what are you guys anticipating happens? Uh, well... You guys are good people, so I hope good things happen. Aww, you know? I, I think, you. as, as opposed to too. bad people. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have that low ass spirit. Well, know, can I also? I'll, I'll tell you something very honestly, and and usually the the business end of the podcast I leave out of it because I just want it to run fluidly. But I contacted nearly every campaign, and you guys were the least abrasive and most receptive really? to coming up and discussing the candidates. I mean, I talked about I talked to every single campaign. We have more campaigns coming up, but you guys were by far the easiest to deal with. Oh. And hopefully so we're th the best. Thank you. <laughs> well, we definitely dropped some knowledge for the kids. Yeah. Well, that's that, you know, that, that's that aloha spirit, I guess, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. But, yeah, so hopefully in New Hampshire, 
I mean, we're hoping for like double digits, you know, that that would be the greatest, you know, top four would be good. I mean, just to show that you can try to silence her. But this is legit. There's just yeah, two exactly. factors. One, polls are inaccurate, right? So like Biden's actually did like six or seven points lower than the polls indicated in Iowa. So Tulsi made he got you, obliterated. Tulsi yeah. made you better because the polls tend to reach a certain demographic, and they may not reach the people who support Tulsi. And also, as uh, Daisy said, New Hampshire has an open primary, which means if you are uh, if you are unaffiliated or Democrat, you can vote in the in the primary. So basically, people who are not registered Democrats can vote in that primary. So that's and that can make a big difference. Uh, so right now she's doing like, I don't know, supposedly she's at 7%, but also the polls that, you know, that they're conducting, it's showing likely democratic voters. So it's people that have voted before as a Democrat. Um, and polls are polls. So uh, exactly. Like I mean, you know, 2016 taught yeah. us that I mean, you, you can't really go off of that. If you, if you really went off of that, then you would you think that Iowa would have gone to Biden for sure. Where do you guys get most of your news? Uh, for me, YouTube. For YouTube, sure. yeah, YouTube. Like, like Hill Rising, um, podcasts. Uh, you listen to a yeah, lot. Yeah, like Michael Tracy is one. Of just like he, Michael Tracy is a big Tulsi supporter. So he was he used to be with TYT for a short time, and now he has his, his own podcast. And he was up in uh, up in Manchester on Wednesday, so we we're talking to him. Um, yeah, so basically alternative news. Although I still like to watch um, other, you know, <laughs> CNN, uh, Fox News. I watch Russian news. I watch. Uh, French news, German news. I just watch to get different perspectives, right? BBC. Again, a little NPR. NPR is normally unbiased, right? NPR, yeah, my wife leaves it on the car. I'll, <laughs> she's been driving. I'll, I'll listen to it it'll for take, a while. But it's always interesting because they, like, they were so focused on impeachment, right? And mm -hmm. they're focused on, on getting rid of Trump and stuff. And it's not really looking at the bigger issues. Trump is a, is a, is a, manif is a symptom, not the problem mm -hmm. so much. I mean, he's a problem, but he's, he's a symptom of a bigger problem. And so just removing Trump is not the solution. One last question. So let's say um, Tulsi doesn't catch the W. Where do you think a majority of her supporters are going to vote for the Democratic nominee? Like Yang and Bernie and yeah, some of the more progressive Yang candidates. Not, not Warren? No. No, no shot. No. <laughs> you guys no, rolled Warren, your eyes. Um, no, no. I, don't, I don't think so. Warren is, is, is seen as um, – I mean, she basically adopted Bernie's platform, but she was – I mean, she's – Bernie's been – Consistent for consistent. years. She has. She she was a Republican, you know, until she was fifty something, and she's just she's more corporate. And and I like her. You know, I think she's she's a good person and everything. I just think that I don't think people are going to go to her because they realize that the problems are so serious. We need a real change, and she is not going to bring that change. She's not going to be able to enact the change. Who's going to win Massachusetts? It's going to be a toss. Not Warren. Huh? Is it not going to be Warren? <laughs> even that's our home state. I don't think so. I don't think. I, I, I don't mean, think so. We haven't seen much support for her, um, at least from the people that we've been interacting with. Uh, so I don't think so. You'll start seeing a lot more Tulsi signs after Tuesday in well, Massachusetts. You, you guys are holding it down at South Station. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you seen us there? Well, people keep telling me. I was like, yeah? you guys were coming awesome. up. They were like, yeah, they're active at South Station. Cool, cool, right. cool. That's yeah. Great. yeah. A little marketing. Let's go. Yeah, we yeah. got to. So you guys just have, are you guys just holding signs most of the time? Or are you guys just going to meet people, calling people? I mean, essentially, it's, you know, to get her name out there. And, you know, the like one of the reasons why we have the banner with her face on it is because, you know, if if people don't know who she is, well, then they're not going to vote for her. Right. So, you know, if you if you just see Tulsi, 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 a swag name. Don't yeah. look her up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people meet her. I mean, they're there's they're 
they're convinced, you know, like when they meet the real person, and we've met her, you know, she is just like when you're in her, with her, she is like such a genuine person. She has such a, uh, a gravitas, you know, like such a serious. She's uh, very poised. Very poised, that's the word. You know, she is really, I mean, compared to like our current president, I mean, she is uh, quality, you know, just the way she presents herself. And I think that's when people meet her, she, she is genuine. She's a yeah. real article. She's not trying to like think of what, how she should answer a question. You know, she, you ask a question she'll give you an honest answer. She's not, she's not calculate or she doesn't come off as a calculating uh, politician essentially. Yeah. See, that's very interesting to me because like, I wonder how hard it would be to be kind when you're constantly spread thin and you have a million things on your mind, like a presidential candidate even though it's kind of your job to be nice to everybody, obviously you're stressed the fuck out. Well, she she's a yogi. She, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's really interesting. Day. I mean, she yeah. is she has a Hindu uh, religion by religion, and I think that's part of her her grounding. You know, she does that meditation and, and yoga every day, so she is centered and she's focused on that. And uh, she it's very hard to get her off that you know balance uh, where she is. So I think that's something that's unique about her. And again, because she is very genuine, she doesn't have to come up with, you know, these, you know, one liners or, you She's know, not try very to figure sales out. Mode, yeah. Yeah. It's just, this is how, she, this is what she thinks. This is what she feels. And this is what she feels is right. And that's what she's going to do regardless, you know? Got it. Well, Hey, listen, before we end the episode, any last questions? You guys have fun? Yeah. We learned a couple things. Let's go. Aloha. This is Daisy. Aloha. This is Steve. From Tulsi 2020. And that was our golden, our golden hour. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. <laughs>